Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra doubly Disney-fired edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast that wished upon a star, but all we got was an Instagram full of Gaston selfies. And speaking of full of gas, I'm Aaron. Oh, and I'm joined as usual by the only one of us to survive Thanos' snap, thanks to the Snapola scheme. It's Mr. J-Wags. How's it going? Amazing. So glad to survive that Thanos. That's it. I hope it was worth the money. That was actually a little reference to Memphis. Yes. I, if memory serves me correct, that's about the payola scheme, about getting songs on the radio. Uh, oh, yes. Big, big, big payola scheme. Trust me. Oh, yeah, yes. That's it. Uh, but anyways, now, uh, first question is, what was your first professional gig? Uh, my first professional, like, my first gig I ever got paid for, I think I was six. And I did a radio spot for Oki Nursery in Northern California. So it's just like I was a kid talking about how beautiful all the flowers were. And I like I remember the word chrysanthemum was in there. And that was really hard for me. Uh, my first professional play was I was in high school. And then I ended up doing dinner theater at Garbo's Dinner Theater, which is just outside of Sacramento. Uh, with an original play called Toby's Rescue from the Planet, which, as far as I know, has never been performed again. And in that show, I, I was Johnny Appleseed. So it's like I had to wear flannel shirts and like a pot on my head. And that was very warm because it wasn't like a prop. It was like they found a camping pot and I had to wear it for the whole show. So that was so exciting. And then my first equity production uh, was Moonlight Magnolias at the Boar's Head Theater in Lansing, Michigan. It's about the making of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> And uh, uh, what would be in your ultimate rock star rider? The thing in my rock star rider is like, I would just basically want to make sure that there was food that I could eat because I have dietary restrictions. So like, I would just make sure that there was a meal there and it was a meal that I didn't have to worry about eating it because there was nothing worse than eating right before a show and then having your stomach go, oh, you can't be here right now, but yeah. you have to be. Uh, or who would be in your top five bands? Oh, oh, like, uh that's rough because I, I listen to so many. Uh, the one who I've been listening to a lot recently is is Rush, the Canadian power trio. That's been my number one. In excess, surprisingly, is still like in, in heavy rotation for me. Uh, they're a big part of my childhood. Let's see. I've been listening to a lot of Atmosphere recently. That's a, a Minnesota-based rap duo who I, I do enjoy. And then like when I was a teenager, it was probably like the Violent Femmes and the Smashing Pumpkins were the ones who got me into into that sort of thing it's uh that's billy corgan or is that yep billy corgan okay oh wow i got that from the simpsons from that episode where he's like billy corgan billy corgan billy corgan smashing pumpkins homer yeah. simpson smiling politely uh okay now where is the most distant land visited i think i know this one i mean i've been to australia so that's pretty far yeah the middle of australia yeah, I've been to Ayers Rock and Alice Springs. Yeah, Uluru, as we traditionally Uluru, call it. that's what we're called. Yeah. Um, but yes, I've, I've been out to the middle. I, I, we actually did the train ride that basically is the, the Priscilla train ride, but they were driving all the way out there. So it's like, I understand that movie better than I would have. I've also been to yeah, Thailand and Singapore and New Zealand, and those have been uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I've been to Singapore, but I haven't been to Thailand because there's too many Australians. <laughs> It's the same with Bali, and I've been there twice now. Way too many Australians in Bali. What has been your favorite professional gig so far? Oh, I don't know, because there's good things and there's bad things about every gig. 
Um, like obviously being on Broadway is the most money you're going to make as a live performer. So that was really awesome for that. But it's also, it's a particular challenge doing a show for over three years. That's just, that's just, that's a different sort of mental thing. I think the most fun I've ever had doing a show was I did a show called the people versus Friar Lawrence, which is a version of Romeo and Juliet that is told from the point of view of Friar Lawrence, who's been arrested for killing Romeo and Juliet. And it is a really hilarious comedy. Okay. Very pre and Juliet, but it's really hilarious. It, it's been uh, it's been published. So if any of you are out there looking for like a hilarious eight person musical that doesn't require a lot of orchestration, it's amazing. And I highly recommend it. Written by Ron West and Phil Swan. Awesome. Anyways, guess what? What? We have another legendary Disney diva in the fuel chamber today. And at 5 a.m., Mr. J, am I sure wondering who disturbed my slumber? <laughs> As this sleepy beauty boasts this bloke's bewildering body of work, we hairs blossomed between boards and backlot by bouncing off bad guys when he burst onto the big screen as a bright-eyed band beside babes bullets and bell bottoms in the black exploitation bonanza death force otherwise known as fighting mad before blooming into one of broadway's most beloved baritones with a bevy of bold and beautiful performances where he hopped on a showboat for a tour de force where this fully sick mitch swung by putnam county for a quick spell before sailing down to memphis where he wiped the floor clean with a powerhouse vocal that caused a shock wave so big it shot him to chicago and allowed this deep dish to slice up a pizza freestyle love supreme. But after whizzing on down the road to lie on the poppy fields of Hamilton, this singing salvation rolled into Detroit to rock the boat with the guys and dolls. But let's hope he didn't get his fill and Mount Olympus when he made a man out of hunk, Ulysses. Hey, that's my job. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not sure I can go the distance, but with a shout out to David Zippel, we serve up a mache of jealousy sprinkled with a shred of chookers as we envelop the paper mill playhouse and post it a huge Aussie g'day for this half man, all G-O-A-T, before we tink a bell and raise a toast to his dreamy dozen Disney credits that have seen him waltz into Alice's Wonderland Bakery to steal secret recipes from the disenchanted baker to sell to Elena of Avalor. <laughs> Vampirina and the Firebuds. But getting tangled in Rapunzel's hairy adventure with those rebellious super kitties left this genius with no choice but to give himself up. So, taking a cue from the law, we order this guest as we welcome him to our torture chamber, accused of crimes on elementary SVU, Gotham, The Good Wife, and more, which is luckily the crime of causing people to die laughing in Girls 5 Ever, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, at home with Amy Sedaris. Plus, he is in perfect harmony as the theme vocalist for our cartoon president and if you think all that qualifies him to run i haven't even mentioned numerous voice acting stints in has been hotel hell of a boss alma's way blues clues and drew bubble guppies and tom and jerry which sent him back to oz so it's this aussie's deepest pride and greatest pleasure causing me to cave in wonder at the wonderful world of <laughs> disney neverlander's career as we watch him rocketeer and bolt up there with an iron wheel and the g-force of a flying carpet that was found by some mini mouse and rat rescuers down under the sands of Agrabah, where we also found a true blue Tony Award-winning genie from today's chosen mousical. So we made a wish for three names and out popped the marvelously magical and mythologically admired Mr. James Monroe Iglehart. Yay! Welcome to the torture chamber. <laughs> I can cross another dream guest off my list and die. Oh my god. Okay, I have to say something. I have been on many, <laughs> many I have been on many a show. I have been on many a show. And I have been asked to do intros for some of my favorite WWE wrestlers. 
Yep. And let me tell you, I can honestly say <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt, after 18 years of being in this business, that was the best intro I have ever heard mm -hmm. in my life. As a matter of fact, I need you to email that to me yep. so I can show my friend this. I need to have that. I need to have that. I need to frame it. It is the most amazing intro I've ever heard in my life. I am so honored. That was literally the dopest thing I've heard ever about <laughs> myself. That is, that was fire. Absolute fire. Wow. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so, I've been watching your genie for the past week or so, sort of, you know, researching and every now and then I'd put it on and I'm like, oh God, what am I doing to myself here? And <laughs> oh my gosh. Last oh. week's episode, I, I did a deliberately disinterested, bored, really monotone one just to shit stir the guest. <laughs> You couldn't hide the joy. Tampering with it. You can't hide the joy. Oh, that was so good. Oh. No, but I'm like shaking. I wish, I wish folks could see my face because I spent the whole face just with like my mouth open like, what? It was so good. It's so good. <laughs> well, because you just kept watching. It's like, it can't be. There's still more and it's still amazing. And it just keeps going. I was like, I was like right. Yes. That was incredible. Thank you so much. You know what? Ten years ago, I was in hospital with a double collapsed lung. The same lung collapsed twice within three months. And now ten years later, I'm sitting here with my idols, with people who have inspired me for 20 years, 30 years. I'm going to get all emotional now doing this and getting these compliments just for oh, i'm having a bit of fun here i'm roasting and boasting basically and and it's a joy it's my pleasure it really is my pleasure so thank you it's 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 my pleasure i, I i'm a, i'm always a person who believes that you're meant to be where you're supposed to be and in hearing about your your journey just in this short amount of time you were yeah. meant to be here you were supposed to be here and your skills in that level were supposed to be done and heard by folks like us so thank you i mean it's moments like that that lets us know one we did something okay and entertained yep. people but two that there are folks out there with skills that we just don't mm -hmm. have what you did i i consider myself a, a pretty good brother on the mic but that that was fire that was absolute fire aaron that was great i literally i'm not lying i need you to email that to me that needs to happen i will give you my personal email address so i can get that <laughs> producers in hollywood are you listening please email me anyways he can hype man all day he will hype us all right. from a to b all the way to z that, that was so dope oh wow Thank you wow very much. it does it takes a lot out of me so i actually i always appreciate this moment where we do talk about it because then i can calm down and relax before i've got to be serious and start the interview i understand uh, because yes you have just opened with hercules yay yes. correctly called hunkules although technically it's heracles <laughs> Oh, technically it is Heracles. We always laugh about that joke, you know. It's a fun moment of, uh, you know, if you're a Greek mythology fan, you know, there's always those people out there who are, I'm a huge Disney fan. I've been a Disney fan since I was nine years old. And, uh, you know, whenever Disney takes a story, they they Disneyfy it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's cool. So you can have different versions of the story. And also, you know, you really don't want your family coming to see a story about a god who has gone to Earth, slept with a bunch of women, and then to get out of it, <laughs> named his son after his wife, who then puts the boy through all kinds of terrible trials so it's you know it's, it's better <laughs> if it's hercules and not heracles because then the villain is not hades it's hera and you know in this day and age having a really mad wife villain doesn't really look good for us right now yeah. so i think what disney did was great and uh, i love our version yep awesome <laughs> Now, how is the weather in ancient Greece? Has the, the response been good? The weather in ancient Greece is hot as I don't know what. The weather in New Jersey is cold as a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever yeah. we get on stage, our, our, the paper mill is very warm. 
And we learned that yesterday when we were doing our show, we did a matinee. We we're like, wow, it's really hot today. But uh, in in Greece, it's very hot and it's awesome. And our cast is fantastic. Uh, Bradley Gibson, who plays Hercules, is a fantastic, wonderful Hercules. He was also a former Simba from Lion King. Then we have Izzy Makala, Izzy Makala, who was also a former Jasmine in um, Aladdin. And she is also playing Meg. And then we have our amazing muses. I mean, just oh, incredible, yeah. incredible ladies. And then we have Shuler, Shuler, who plays Hades. So we have we have an incredible amazing cast of people and Schuler also is known for a disney show he played um Kerchek in Tarzan. So we have a lot of uh, Disney repeat family members coming back for this for this production. And he was also Frankenstein's monster in the Van Helsing movie. Yes, he was. Which I will always remember because he like spoke, sang all of his lines. He also was Frankenstein in uh, Young Frankenstein on Broadway as well. Yeah, and West End. Yes, yes, with, um, that's right. Our yes. friend of the show, a past yes. guest, Hadley Fraser. Uh, but speaking of past guests, David Zippel, obviously the lyricist of Hercules. Yes. Now I would like you to gentlemen to join me on a campaign that I've mentioned on Twitter a couple of times. It is about time, Disney, that David Zipper was made a Disney legend. I, I am with you on that. Honestly, I am with you on that. He's not? He's not. And it's about time. I, I can't believe he's not. But I mean, when you think about the music in the Disney pantheon and, you know, in the legends of Disney, go the distance. Mm -hmm. But also, if you are in any Disney park and you say, bless my soul, someone is definitely going to go, Herc, what's on a roll? <laughs> it just happens. You it's going to be me. <laughs> It's like it's like being in Texas. Yep. It's like being in Texas and saying the stars at night are big and bright and watching the Texans going deep in the heart of Texas. Th thank you. If you were in any Disney area and you say bless my soul, you may you may even just be saying something else. Someone's going to say Herkers on a roll. So, yes, the man deserves just for that one line. The man deserves to be a Disney legend. That is true. That only happened to me once in West Virginia when someone said like part of Country Roads and then everyone joined in an eight-part harmony. Where's the place I belong? <laughs> just everyone. Yeah, just... There's something, something about John Denver though. <laughs> just kidding. Mm -hmm. That's us Aussies with Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how literally uncultured we are over here. That it's a, a cry that we stole from the Brits. So there you go. Please, you, you guys can't call yourself uncultured. We're from America. Yeah. There's no one more uncultured than us. We have stolen all our cultures and then we still don't have one. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, we we have a culture, but like it's 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 the lazy Susan of cultures. We like spin around, take the parts we yes. think we can whiten right. up and just sort of push into a corner. Like that's fun. Yes, it's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right, yeah. John. We have the culture of stealing cultures. That's our our culture is the culture of stealing cultures. That Chinese food's a little spicy. We're gonna try chop suey. You like that? We're gonna do it that. How about sugar? Yeah, sugar sounds great. Sugar sounds wonderful in this. Wait, no, it's supposed to be spicy. Sugar? Yeah, it's great. Sugar is a spice. Sugar mm. is a spice, yes. <laughs> anyway, sorry, before we get off track, because last recording we were actually going for two hours and 15 minutes with the guest. So we're not going to do that to you, James. We just went way off track the whole time. So we're going to move on to the medal now. Now, what would be in your craziest, most over-the-top rock star rider if you could put just anything on there? If I had the craziest thing that I would, I would ask for, if I, if I could, I can't do it all the time, but if I can have the best suite in the house that's what i like i like because I, I have a big family and my fam wherever i go my family comes so i need the largest room in the hotel because you know my wife is tall i'm tall i got you know five kids uh and now they have kids i need the biggest room in the house because we take up a lot of room so if i have to say something crazy i'm like for myself i'm like yeah i'm good but i'm like no i need the biggest room why i'm like because everybody's coming my mama's coming the whole world's coming i that's probably the biggest rock star thing i'd probably say yeah nice is it 
is your family still in uh, Northern California? Or, I mean, obviously your family probably lives with you in yes. the East Coast. Well, half, half of them, half of them. My, um, my mom and my brother and my father, my mom, my brother and father are in the Bay Area. I'm a Sacramento kid, so I'm going to be asking all the NorCal questions. So. Hey, very cool. Cool, cool. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Jack in the Box, we understand. Yes. Jack in the Box and Round Table Pizza, we understand. Yes. Round Table Pizza. Oh. I can relate. I can finally <laughs> yes. relate. I've had Jack in the Box in Hawaii, in Honolulu. Yes. When I went on a weird like five hour walk with a homeless dude carrying a coconut because he was looking <laughs> to buy a bike. Okay. Okay. Don't ask. We went into Walmart. So I've been to Walmart with my very own weirdo. That sounds like a sketch. Yeah, it is. Anyways, it was very hot that day. All right. Disney goes heavy. Yes. Firstly, have <laughs> yes. you had much experience with heavy metal, glam metal, thrash metal, death metal? Yeah. Um, yeah. My wife is a, a very big uh, heavy metal fan. Uh, one of her favorite groups is Kill Switch Engage. And so... You know, to have Killswitch Engage singing and then like, you know, Howard as, you know, not what's well, funny. We were white. We were sitting in bed one night year, many years ago, probably about 15 years ago. And we heard this song, Rose of Sharon, and we heard the voice. And we were like, wow. And then when it, we, we saw it was a brother, we saw it was a black dude singing. We were like, who the hell is this? And we lost our minds, you know. So and we like everything from old metal, you know, you know, from like Iron Maiden yes. all the way up to, you know, Killswitch Engage. So there's something about, you know, the run to the hills just, just kills me. Um, that, 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 that high tenor, oh. just like, I wish I could do it it but i can't <laughs> so yeah i'm very familiar with with metal and uh when we're driving in the street our playlist is very eclectic of different different music <laughs> yep. it goes everywhere from you know like literally disney to kill switch engage and people are like what the hell is that car you know so yeah i can relate very much like it was the other night body count came on and then martika came on yeah martika oh i remember her right right and then pippi longstocking and then pippi ah. longstocking like of all the, the original pippi longstocking yes the yes. movie oh, of the 80s God, yes. with um tammy yes. laren i think no that, that's the political yes. girl isn't it i don't know tommy laren is a is a political commentator uh tammy lauren yes tommy tammy then. lauren is a red-headed character tammy lauren is yes actress yes because you, you don't want tommy lauren in, 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 in anything <laughs> no no but anyways uh we'll move on to the middle album because we've uh, i chose our last night's disney goes heavy so i'll quickly dive into my review because it's a couple of pages this week it's a little bit shorter than other weeks but that's mm -hmm. fitting for the album Whilst exploring the wonderful world of Spotify, I took a chance on an unknown band because I've got no strings attached given I've never heard them or of them. Plus, I am still relatively new to metal despite being clockwork oranged for the past two years. Anyway, I clicked begin on their recent album of Disney tunes, Gone Metal, hoping really only one thing. Please don't ruin these classics. And as the overture led us under the sea, well, 33 seconds of, dipping our toes, I suddenly felt myself wanting more, if only to hear the car play the harp and the lings play the strings, <laughs> and oh, that blowfish, grah, 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 grah. <laughs> not enough fish meat on the bones, and I would know. Luckily, track three told me to let it go, which is easy to do when this song is a minute longer, and just as well translated. And as the album progressed, each song finished too quickly. And I would know, especially since Disney songs are already too short. You get into the bop and then it's over. Rewind be damned in this case. Some of these interpretations are thrilling and showcase not only the band's talents and their joy, but it also highlights why these songs are so darn beloved. 
the final two tracks definitely stood out as being fully realized songs that existed beyond this taste tester of an album. But that's not to say the way too short songs were bad, quite the contrary, and do give credence to it's not the size of the ship, it's the size of the door that can fit two people that counts. And there are a lot of doors on this ship with only one song I didn't really care for, only because I've never really been a fan of any animated Tarzan. So do I score this based on bias? Absolutely. And given my love of Disney, trust and believe, if it sucked at all, I would be the first to say four stars. And it loses a star because I need more. I need more of these songs. Some of these interpretations were brilliant. And even if they were you know, pretty much just the the original song darkened up. They worked so well that when it was over, like I just put the album on repeat, listened to it over and over and over and over again for hours because it was such a joy and it didn't feel repetitious because there were so many songs on the album there. So anyways. This album felt a little bit to me like, you ever go to like a comic show and the comic has like, this is my thing and I do this thing. And then like, that's great for like a 10 minute set. But if you're watching that for an hour, it's like, do you have any other things that might be able to do it? This album to me felt like, hey, we got a joke and they did the joke 23 consecutive times. <laughs> and it was great. I'm, I'm, I'm down. To a point, but I feel like this was largely for like, hey, in a movie where we're going to do this thing, but we're going to do like it crazy style, we're going to do a Disney song. And since this montage only lasts a minute, that's, a, that's the length of the song. We don't need to finish the rest. Uh, I agree with you that the songs I loved, I wanted to hear more of. Halloween Town was the one I thought was the most successful because we got to do like a full arrangement. There was a beginning, a middle and an end, as opposed yeah. to some of the songs felt like, ah, isn't that funny? Stop. And I agree that some of these songs don't need to be five minutes long, but someone's like, let it go. Let it go is like, it it lends itself to metal because it's got that sort of minor key opening. Colors of the Wind, like I loved the orchestration of it and and it like it had dynamic. And yeah, you're welcome, popped into 6-8. I love metal in 6-8, it is so much fun. I just feel that I would have been happier with fewer better songs that lasted a tiny bit longer and had a tiny bit more thought in the orchestration. Yeah, because they got the talent for it. Mm-hmm. I actually agree with both of you. I really enjoyed the album. I thought it was fun. I I do definitely uh, want to piggyback on what John said about, I feel like they have the great talent. I love where they went with the whole motif, but I felt it would have been better if they would have taken maybe seven songs and done full arrangements of them because just because I wanted to hear where they went with it. And what I also found interesting, what it seems to me, and it's not just because I know the guy, but it seems like the songs that Lynn wrote, like Lynn manuel wrote, because they are so lyrically dense, fit better with metal than some of the others. So it's like listening to Beauty and the Beast or Can You Feel the Love Tonight? I got that it was like, you know, the style of metal. But when you got to We Don't Talk About Bruno and Surface Pressure, especially since Surface Pressure was three minutes long, I was like, ah, there it is. Because Lynn packed so much into his lyrics that they could really, really get into it. But also songs like Into the Unknown, where like you, if if you're a metal fan and you want those guys who not only, or those people, I shouldn't say guys, you want those people who actually growl but also can hold long notes you know it's the unknown i was like that's yes there you go that that worked for me so i found it interesting that of all the things frozen and Encanto worked well <laughs> as metal tunes than some which it, it, it just basically says that alan Menken doesn't lend himself to metal whereas the lopez and miranda lends itself <laughs> to to metal a little bit better so i i for me 
I, I thought the album was fun. I thought it was great. I wish that they had um, compressed it maybe to maybe seven, maybe to five to seven songs and like just gone for it instead of just like 30 seconds. Because once you get into it, like once you're like, oh, are you guys going to change or give me a bridge? That you Like you said, John, they like stuck, like yeah. cut out. <laughs> but I will say the skills, the skill set and the and I will say the cojones to decide to do Disney songs as metal. Because like most people were like, oh, it's a joke. It's fun. It also kind of reminded me of when Disney decided to go pop in the 90s and they had um, like LL Cool J do uh, the Big Bad Wolf or yeah. they had um, I forgot the Latin group do I've Got No Strings. I thought this was kind of like in that same realm of like, let's take a different genre and go someplace with it. And these guys did it. But I I also I think it's a great album. I think it was fun. I think they have a lot of talent, but I would have rather had a shorter album with longer songs and then go deeper into it and like really do it because it would have been fun. I, I could see them playing you know at epcot you know they have epcot has that yes. big uh, stage i could see them totally like ripping a night at epcot going crazy and people would have lost their minds watching it so but i i thoroughly enjoyed um you know uh, our last night disney goes heavy i thought it was really fun yeah i, I don't know if i totally agree on the alamenkin because i would have liked to have heard where they took take the songs to then make that decision I, I don't think the taste test was enough to i think alan menken uh I, I don't think he like speed metal is not alan menken but like that 80s like yes hair metal power ballad yes that's what he can do yes, yes. that you're right you can take you could take beauty and the beast you could take under the sea you could take those songs you could say especially you could take be our guest and you could really like a whole new world you can go into the 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 80s ballad hairband early mtv bands you could do that but if as far as like the speed metal and like you know like mm. really or grunge or really getting into it i i feel like alan doesn't because alan's too too melodic you kind of need those mm -hmm. really really tight pants very long hair uh very shampooed <laughs> brothers very shampooed very, very good conditioner hair brothers out there singing <laughs> for alan's tunes and mm -hmm. uh, you know everybody's you know, you need the cut hair, the bald head, the spikes, and everything for the the, the other stuff. So, but I enjoy Sebastian it. Bach. Oh, yeah. Oh gosh, yes. You know, Sebastian. My friend saw Sebastian Bach in Jesus Christ Superstar, and after he did Gethsemane, he flashed devil horns to the audience. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you know, you know, and that, and that that's the kind of thing where you realize that th those moments make me laugh because you go, ah, you forgot your on stage acting. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like when Tony Braxton was in Beauty and the Beast, and she put the hand up at the Beast and said, ah, oh, think again, like talk to the hand and you were like you did not tell the beast to talk to the hand did you she did she she did. You forgot where you were for us <laughs> <laughs> um you know look i i want to hear more and so i did and i listened to their latest single and i quite liked it i can't remember what it was because it was like a few days ago and like four o'clock in the morning was it more disney or just were they doing their own thing no it was an original song and ah, I, I see I, I the first to admit it if it didn't work with me if it didn't sit right with me i, I would say so and i i quite enjoyed it and would like to explore what they have in terms of their original stuff that's actually a brilliant move i didn't think about that because like the fact that they did that lets you know that now, now that you said that, I didn't realize. I thought this was just a Disney thing, but now that I see that they're a bro, that they're a, like a band band, that was actually a brilliant move. Yeah, that was actually a brilliant move at this point in their career too. Because I will definitely send people looking for them. Yep, that's brilliant. That's kind of awesome, actually. I did actually send them an invite, knowing that I was giving them four stars. I'm like, I think they're going to be pretty happy with my review. And you're like, no, well, not this, not this. <laughs> 
right, 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 right. But look, you guys are professionals at what you do, and and that's why we we do this show to dissect the music and what works and what doesn't work. And well, I think that they needed to be longer in order to be able to judge what would have worked stronger and mm-hmm. and what didn't. Because I think Under the Sea would have been fantastic. I just can't wait to be king. Would have been fan- uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's just so hard to do metal in a major key. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> well, I'd say that I don't know about. I haven't sung since uh, I was going through puberty. Well, that's why the Let It Go intro, it's not like, nah, 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 nah. it's got that minor spooky key stuff going on. Yeah. I wanted to hear, yeah, I wanted like more be prepared kind of stuff. I wanted all the villain songs, just like a villain song metal album. Yes. Felt very, I felt very offended. I was like, you have friend like me and it's not here. Yes. I'm like, mm. I was waiting for I'm like, you could, there's that, we used to joke about doing a metal or a hip hop version of Friend Like Me. It was like, there's so many ways to take a metal version of Friend Like Me. I'm like, come on, boys. I'm chal- I'm challenging you, Alas. Well, I mean, Will Smith did a bit. <laughs> Will Smith was hip hop-ish. Yeah, but okay. I- we don't need to bring that up if you don't want to. <laughs> I, 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 no, no, it's not that I can't, I can't speak on, I can't speak on that because I was the original genie on Broadway. It would have been, it would have been fun to see a, a, a metal version of Friend Like Me. I think it'd be fun. Hell yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of the songs we do, musicals, um, there is actually a, a metal version, like a death metal of Fiddler on the Roof. Not shocked. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it's Yidcore. Yidcore. Which is Jewish metal. Okay. No joke. Okay. No joke. It's a band called Yidcore. I saw a production of Fiddler in Chicago in the late 90s called The Roof is on Fiddler. Whoa. Yes. It was the original book, word for word, of Fiddler on the Roof. And then they just took 80s songs and put them all into the score instead of the Bach Harnick score. Oh, no. I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> it I'm was flashbacks. like Sabbath prayer was living on a prayer. Oh, sunrise, man. sunset with tequila, sunrise. Like there was so many. It was it was so wrong and so right all at the same time. That kind of stuff. And then they got cease and desisted. <laughs> of course. But it was amazing while it lasted. Fair enough. That- that's uh, that's something when people try to change Sondheim and these people go, uh, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> we're not doing that. That's why I'm kind of iffy on changing the book now when a revival comes about. In 20 years' time, are you telling me that someone's going to do a production of Sweeney Todd on Broadway and say, um, no, no, this isn't good enough for today's audience. We're going to change it. I promised the PR company I wouldn't swear. So pretend I've just said a very long swear word ended with off. <laughs> oh, oh. How dare oh, you? So that's awful. I can't believe you said that. No, no. No way in no. Hades. Like, I think we need to start reevaluating that because even if something is outdated, okay, sure, it's outdated. We're not looking at it as, it, as if it was made today. I don't yeah. think we should be, but okay, but that's just me. That's just me. There's a, it's, what we're doing is here, we're not talking about history, we're talking about entertainment. And this Roald Dahl stuff about like changing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl himself edited the first few editions because the Oompa Loompas were super racist in the first yeah, version. And he true. wanted to continue to sell books. Yeah. So I'm yes. like, as an American, I'm like, if you own the rights, you can change a thing to make it more available and uh, accessible to a larger audience. Like personally, I would love it if Carousel could come back with a new, same score, except for maybe the clambag song uh, and with a whole new book and then be like, great, maybe we can make it not about a man being horrible and then getting forgiven for beating his wife and daughter. Maybe we can switch that up and still get this amazing score. See, I have no idea. I've never seen that. There are many shows like that. And I, but for me, here's the thing. You either do the show you don't also the people have to understand that these shows were written at a certain time. It's like when people mm-hmm. go back and judge movies in the eighties, like w- right, right now, my wife and I are watching, uh, we, we, we've been watching uh, night court 
from the, the TV show Night Court. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's Harry Anderson and John LaRoquette and, you know, Marsha Marsha Warfield, all these amazing act- actors. And uh, some of the jokes there are cannot be done today. But to judge the show by today's standards and say, this show shouldn't be on and this and that, I, then don't watch them. Because here's the thing. We had to have that to get to here. There had to have those moments for someone to go, oh, by the way, yeah, now we see who our audience is. We can't say that. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't think if Walt Disney was around today, he would have made the crows the same way in Dumbo. I just don't. I just don't think so. You know, I mean, unless he just wanted to be like, yeah, it's my last movie and I'm ready to go. You know, (laughs) I want to go out. I want to go out with a racist sentiment and I want people to know it. Peace. I'm out. Never make another movie again. You know what I mean? So when we when we go back and we look at these musicals and we say, oh, my gosh, this should be changed. You want to go? No. Put the musical on and have a discussion about it. Yeah. And say, look how crazy it was back then. Look at the things that we did back then and look how far we've come and or look and go, wow, look how far we haven't come. We need to really work on this because if you go out and put these shows out with this new thing, because it doesn't fit because it was written at that time in a certain way by certain people with a certain mentality. And when you have people go and fix it, then people don't understand why the show doesn't work now. Oh, it just sucks now they messed it up. Well, yeah, you messed it up because you tried to put your sentimentality into this show that had yes. never even meant to have that. So that's just how I feel. As I've said many times, art is already a comment on the time it was being made using different devices. So a film today being made today about the 1980s is a film about today using the 80s as mm-hmm. its device. So look at that film through the lens of 2023, but then look at the 80s movies as a comment on the 80s, no matter where they are set, because obviously Back to the Future set all over the joint, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, my, my, fav- my favorite new one is, 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 a, is a, there's a new show coming on and I hope I have no friends in it. And I hope, I hope you guys have the biggest success. You have to put those, you have to put those things out there before you say something crazy. Yep, yep. Uh, there's a new show coming <laughs> out and it's Greece, right? They're, they're going back to Greece. They're going back to do, you know, the T birds and the pink ladies. And I was like, there was a brother, there was a black dude in the T birds. Is this based in 2023? Because if it's based in the 50s, that boy would not be in that gang. There is no way that those boys from the T birds would have a black dude in their gang. Matter of fact, they would have beat that boy up and called him all kinds of names. When I saw that they had, when I saw the pink ladies walk out and there was an Asian girl in there, I was like, time out. Time out. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Uh, first of all, we could talk about that. We we can't we can't go this because that's a whole different thing. Grease is flawed anyway. This hi, I'm a good I'm a good girl who gets good grades, but no, no, no. Let's turn me into a smoking slut, and that's how we're gonna end the movie. I'm like, no, no. You say no. that like it's so, a bad thing for one thing, but, <laughs> but don't forget, Danny does the opposite. Everyone forgets Danny does the opposite. Yes, but Danny does the opposite, and then what happens? Danny goes and decides, oh my gosh, I need to date this girl and get myself together. But the minute she walks out in a tight pair of leather jeans, all of a sudden he goes, forget that. I'm going back to being a complete ass and I'm gonna put this leather jacket on. He could have stayed and said, no, don't change yourself for me. I'd like to change so we can be positive together. That was the ending I did of Grease. And when I did in college, that was it. The director gave us a new page to end the show. And we're like, okay, I guess this is the Grease we're doing. 
It's just funny. It's like when I saw this new show, I was like, guys, why are you trying to put this new, this new, this this new rainbow colored mm-hmm. you know, glasses view on that time? That's not how it was. One thing we can all agree about the '50s is that it was an a great time for all the collaboration between the races at all times. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's there, there was there was. <laughs> I mean, there was there was no more time for a rainbow coalition like the 1950s. Um, I, I, something <laughs> happened in the 60s and messed it all up. But wow! So I just I just think that with you gonna when you look at these shows or look at these movies or look at these Disney films, you got to look at them from where they are. Which is which is funny because it transfers back to what we're talking about. Looking at the heavy metal album, that someone can go back and take these songs and put something on it. For anybody to look at the album and go, "Oh my God, how can they do that?" You're like, "No, no, no! Look, they're just." singing the song you can't comment on the songs they're just singing what was written and these guys put their heavy metal thing on you can't get mad at it you know so it's just just very interesting how people you know throw their opinions of today on something yeah well could just to to go back onto that i mean we were talking a little bit before about how you were saying that it's good that we've updated hercules so that kids can watch it for disney at what point does something not become the story and is it okay to have a separate adaptation of it because clearly you're not doing the greek Hercules. No, true. We're all, we're also yeah. not doing the the cartoon because I play Phil, and if you go back and watch the 1997 cartoon of Phil, Phil keeps saying like really kind of racy things to anybody that's female. Like Meg looks at Hercules while he's fighting Nessus and goes, "Is he for real?" And Phil goes, "Yeah, and I'm for real too, sweet cheeks." And I'm like, "You can't say that in the cartoon <laughs> now. You can't. <laughs> Parents will lose their mind." So we we changed Phil so he's more about training the kid and not chasing the tail. You know what I mean? Okay, so but where where do you think the line is from, say, like someone who like when Carousel goes public domain and someone rewrites the score or the script so that the score can work as opposed to something that we're trying to make this a family show. So obviously we can't go dig into the mythology. I think it's the thing is like, what what is the reason for you doing it? What is the reason for you? Okay. Doing it? Like if you're doing it, just be like, well, I want to do the show, but I didn't like what they did. That's not a good reason. If you're saying the score is beautiful and I would like to take the score and wrap a story around this beautiful score that can work and still kind of give the kid, maybe not the, maybe not redeem the character, maybe maybe do something different, fine. Mm-hmm. That means you actually have a goal, a vision of what you're doing. But if you're like changing it to fit today, that's like put, trying to put a square peg into a, you know, put a round square, you know what I mean? So you don't want like the line item veto of specific jokes. Like that's what you're saying. You don't want like yeah. a correcting pen. Yes. You want someone creating a, a full piece of art a full around piece of the art. story. Yes. Okay. Yes. I see where you're coming from now. That that that's um, <laughs> that that I'm cool, you know. Well, we've solved that issue now. We well, have... we're, you know, world now world peace. <laughs> see, we just need a JMI on the show. We could have solved all this so much sooner. And I would not have ranted every episode and lost my mind about this stuff. But I, I would just want to throw in two things because I do need to move the show along. Um, nothing is definitive. No. No production of anything is definitive. No movie is definitive, as we've Uh, learned with all the the reboots and reboots on reboots and amoebas on reboots on rats. Uh, But also something I hear, and and I'll I'll approach this as from a gay man, and I'll look at the prom. That didn't define my culture, kids. I don't watch the prom and go, this is what it is to be gay. Like... I, James Gordon, I've said it many times, he made me laugh on it. I thought he, he did a really great job on it. I don't care about everything else that you want to throw at me about his personal stuff. I'm talking about people telling me that that film is supposed to define my culture. You don't know me. Yeah. You don't know what I've been through. It doesn't define my culture. It's just one little tiny speck yeah. in a massive sea of, quite frankly, we have an overabundance of art at the moment. I, I agree with you. 
Unless you're writing literally an autobiography, obviously, like, art isn't going to speak every part of your experience, but, uh, I mean, like, I, uh, identify as mostly straight, uh, and so it's one of those things where, like, when I saw the prom, but I still remember being an outcast in high school. I still remember being turned down for dances. Yes. And it's like, that was a part of the show I deeply connected to. Uh, so... I, I rarely see a musical like this is me, but like the musical I connected to, I think the most is Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I have lived none of that man's life. Yeah, For, what's funny is that I, when I see when I see things like The Color Purple or The mm -hmm. Wiz or all of the other you know black shows, I'm like, those are wonderful moments in our history. Those are wonderful moments in snippets of the African American experience, but they do not encompass the African-American experience. So you can't say this one movie is the definitive moment to define black people or to define gay people. You're like, well, if that's the case, that's pretty shallow. If this one, yes. if this, if, if you say, uh -huh. if, if you say a prom de de defines gay culture, the LGBTQ plus culture, you're like, damn, really? Yeah, we haven't. Yeah. We, we've done a lot more than that. <laughs> I know, I know. It just it drives me nuts. But I'm now considered a boomer, so they're not going to listen to me, are they? Ugh. Well, the, the great part is there's always there's always someone who wants to put a stamp on something. And whenever you put a stamp on something, you 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 you've completely missed the point. And also, you don't realize that the next generation may not feel that that's the stamp. We're going through that now. You know, we in yeah. the 80s thought that this was our Star Wars is the Star Wars. We that's it. Now, personally, I think it is, but new people <laughs> think it's not. And then the new Star Wars weren't and everybody got mad that they pulled the stamp off. But then the Mandalorian came out. They're like, the Mandalorian is a stamp. You never know. There's another there's a young director out there. There's a young director. We don't know who he or she is or who they are. And they could redefine Star Wars in 20 years. And say, OK, now that's the stamp. Just stop putting the stamp and just make good products. Just mm -hmm. make good products. And whoever likes it, likes it. Whoever identifies with it, identifies with it. Stop trying to say this is the definitive because there never will be the definitive. There, there, as long as people keep loving it, someone's going to want to add something to it. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you consider something definitive, then you get, I think, one of the problems we had with the new trilogy was that, like, we're going to do those films, but with new people. It's like, no, tell me a new story. Like, I'm okay with that, but... Tell me a new... Tell Tell, tell me news. And I think that's the interesting thing about musicals because films can have sequels. Mm -hmm. And we've and we've learned from Love Never Dies that maybe musicals shouldn't. <laughs> what are you talking about, sir? That musical made perfect sense. <laughs> so musicals sit in a certain place and they sit in the time that you have to realize, I think it's musicals take about three years to write and then three years to put up. So by the time mm -hmm. they get there, this is six years of an opinion of time put together. So they are not the definitive of whatever time they are playing in. They are coming from that six years of being put together. So you have to look at those musicals for that moment. So mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to like when you were saying, John, like, when is the moment where you can like redo it or fix it? It's hard because it's not like a movie where they're kind of fluid, where you can always like tap in, re-edit and do something else. That musical yeah. sat there for that moment. So it's hard to like take it and let's, oh, let's do something with it. Unless you, even when you redo it, that's still another six years to fix it. That's, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of producing an original musical right now. And also I'm on hold for a musical that had its pre-Broadway at the Fifth Avenue, which you're nice. all stopping grounds. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, but like, it's just like, we have to wait to see when we get a theater and then are the jokes we did a year ago still funny right because otherwise we got to reworkshop it because these jokes aren't going to last a year and a half the, the great thing with aladdin i will say the fun part about aladdin was that genie 
didn't have because it was you know it's disney and robin williams had an open book and then they and then because it was a movie they could edit out all the stuff he said that wasn't family friendly with with the show <laughs> when, when when i did it you know genie was still open to do things but the great thing that saved genie was that i had a moment i had three moments in the show where i could improv so the jokes could change so yes. that what happened this week I could throw that in there. Or like when I left mm -hmm. the show, the other genie said, the joke is, where are you from? Are you for real? And he was like, no, nah, I'm from Wakanda. And everybody laughed. But then like a month later, it was someplace different because, Wakanda, you know, that movie had passed. So mm -hmm. genie, Beetlejuice, School of Rock is probably different because that character has the carte blanche to do something to let the audience know it's happening now, right now, you're watching it. And But most musicals don't have that. That joke that was written stays there. And you're like, ah. What are we gonna do now? Cause mm. that may not be funny now. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Can I can I just quickly throw it on that break and then we're gonna bring us back in with Aladdin because yeah. we are running over time. Throw Sorry, it down. Guys. Throw it to that ad. So, anyways, it looks like midnight has struck on our last night. So we better hurry to an ad break before Mr. J Wags turns into a pumpkin and I turn back into a mouse again. Oh. G'day listeners, Aaron here. We thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. This week we're reviewing Hamilton. What can I say about Hamilton that hasn't already been said? It's a show that has changed the theatre community. The first time I saw the show, it was 2016. My parents and I flew into New York City and we had tickets in the mezzanine for Hamilton. I was transported to the world of Alexander Hamilton by the incredible material by Lin-Manuel Miranda and the incredible designs of David Corns, Paul Taswell, and Howell Binkley, with direction by Tommy Kale, choreography by Andy Blankenbuehler, and orchestrations and arrangements by Alex Lacamoire. Now, this show is something that, as a theater kid, just changed everything for me. You know, it's one of the reasons that I'm here living in New York City now. And revisiting this show post-pandemic, this new cast was reinvigorated by their time in the rehearsal studio with the original members of the creative team. You tend to run into that uh, danger with long-running shows that they can grow tired and uh, lose energy. And post-pandemic, this show didn't have that. Now, is this show for tourists or purists? This show is for everyone. It's truly a magical piece of theater that everyone should revisit again and again, whether it's on Disney Plus or in person at the Richard Rogers Theater. Anyways, you're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's the Dohio host, Mr. J Wags. And we're joined by the genuine, bonafide, electrified six car genie, James Monroe Igelhard. And now I have a question. I did this with Julia Murney because uh, as we learn on this show, I have the strangest DVD collection. When was the last time you watched this movie? <laughs> okay. That's the reaction I'm looking for. Yes. The last time I watched Beyond the Valley Dolls was probably about a year and a half ago. Oh, wonderful. Because uh, a friend of mine uh, made a joke. It was a twofold joke about Roger Ebert being, a, you know, you know, loved watching, you know, at the movies with Siskel and Ebert. And I said, oh, my gosh, you know, I think it's funny that a critic only wrote one movie. They're like, he didn't write a movie. I'm like, yes, he did. He wrote a movie. My father was in it. You know, my father, you know, played the, the black boxer in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's why he brought that's that's my pops. So I went back and watched it and just kind of went, there's a movie for its time. There's a movie for its time. Mm -hmm. I go, resent that. 
Totally. It's a <laughs> timeless movie and I love it. Anyways. Well, what's funny is there, it's, it's such a cult classic that it's yep. played like at midnight showings like all around the world. And you have to go into it with an open mind, complete open mind. I mean, the way they handle black people, the way they handle gay people, the way they handle women, the way they handle older white men, the way they handle all that. But the great thing about that film is because it's satire, people seem to leave it alone. It's mm -hmm. like, we're okay with satire from the 70s and in, in 60s, but satire today can't be, can't satirize what we, you know, we're, we're too sensitive about it. You can satirize them, but don't satirize us now. But I, so yeah, I watched it about a year and a half ago and just howled laughing hysterically. Yep. Cause I, cause the, the thing, what makes me laugh the most Aaron is, something you wouldn't even think about. My father, when he was upset with me, the voice he uses when he's driving the car and he hits the other brother, that is the voice I would hear when I would get in trouble. Oh, uh. so, the, so there's a moment, there's a moment in the film. So I'm always triggered. Yeah. I'm always triggered by that movie. Sorry. Oh shit, I didn't mean to trigger you. No, no, there's, there's a moment in the movie where he goes, he says, move your ass boy or i'll move it for you and i was like whoo i'm getting a flashback from elementary school <laughs> i never even thought about that yeah like that <laughs> voice is the voice that he would use like if i was like down the street when i should have been home an hour ago and i hear jason Monroe, and i'm like huh jesus <laughs> so you know so when i watch the film i just start laughing i'm like eh. That's what my pop sounds like when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Now, also um, a surprise find that I found on the internet is a very bad copy of the, the fighting movie that you were in as a two-year-old making your debut, standing there playing a little white guitar. Yes. Absolutely adorable. And then you got kidnapped by Filipino gangsters. I did. No. There was lots of, lots of decapitation. I sent you a link, Joe Ags, to this. Oh, yeah. Tons of decapitations uh, in the film. Um, oh yeah, great. Love the film. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's still one of my favorites. It's my father's last movie. Yep. Um, and it was, it was that he did this film because he wanted to do when he was in Hollywood, he was a very, you know, large buff black dude. He was a beautiful man and they wanted him to be a gangster. And that's not my pops. You know, yep. my pops didn't want to do a movie where he was a gangster. He didn't even, if you watch the film, there is the most corny, corny moment. Now we have side boob, we have killings, yep. we have decapitations. Well, decapitations, they were pretty... Decapitations, <laughs> yeah. with, with a <laughs> samurai bad. sword, but my father refused to use the word MF because he didn't want his son to see him say that. Aww. So when the Japanese soldier asks my father, what happened to you? My father says those mother humpers because he would not say the other word. Oh, so if you go right. back and watch it, yeah. he never wanted me to see him say that on screen. So he was not going to be a gangster. He was not going to be a hood because he yeah. was not going to show that to his son. So when I grew up watching the film, I saw, you know, this mm -hmm. hero, this action star. That's what I grew up seeing. Yep. And, you know, it's, it always kills me when I watch the movie. I was like, why didn't you say that? He's like, I didn't want you to feel bad. I was like, Dad, it actually would have been better if you said the right word. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks ridiculous now. One scene, it might be the scene you're talking about where he, they're on a beach and he walks into frame, drops down and just does a bunch of push-ups for absolutely no yep. reason at all. Stands yep. up, nice. picks up nice. a stick, starts swinging it around. Yep. And then his friend yep. turns around and talks to him. I crack 
cracked up laughing the first time <laughs> I saw that because it was so funny. Listen, what's really funny is also that film has a scene that Quentin Tarantino put into In Kill Bill. Kill Bill, yes. So the scene where uh, the Japanese soldiers are talking about, you know, why am I, why do I have to clean the fish? If, you know, if anyone knew we were still alive, I would be general. And the other guy says, if you would be general, I would be emperor. You would still be cleaning the fish. And they put that in Kill Bill in the sushi right. scene because, you know, everybody knows that Quentin Tarantino is a lover of those old Asian, mm -hmm. uh, Jap uh, you know, mm -hmm. black exploitation and also old uh, Kung Fu films. So to see that scene in the movie, I, I was like, wow, you know, dad, you're a part of, you know, history twice. You know, so it, it, it's it's that film was very dear to my heart because Jane Kennedy, uh, who stars as the, the female lead, she was the Halle Berry of her time. She was one of the first mm -hmm. actresses to uh, be allowed to do uh, sports casting. And Leon Isaac Kennedy was one of the first black dudes to start producing his own film. Yes. You know, back then. So he plays the villain in the film. So my dad left films at that time because he wanted to raise his son. And he was like, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to let Hollywood define me. And he stepped out. And uh, so uh, the fact that you brought up Death Force, uh, fight, AKA Fighting Mad. I'm sorry. No, 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 please. That's one of my favorite moments of my life. And oh, that was actually the film when I was 18 years old. I didn't like, I didn't like my middle name because it was a president. Yep. I was in college and I was, I was an acting major. And I, we, my brother was watching the film when I got home and it says introducing James Monroe Iglehart. And I saw it on film. And for the first time I realized my name looks good on film. I am, and that, and I am honored to be named that. So from then on in, I, I didn't go by James M. I didn't go by James Iglehart. I wrote out my full name, and I said, if they can say Schwarzenegger, they can say James Monroe Iglehart. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, it was from that moment on, because of that film, that I write my name, my full three names for. That's my stage name. My real name is my stage name because of that. Oh wow! Yeah. I didn't know it was going to open up that Pandora's box. One thing though, on one of the DVD covers or one of the posters, it's got your father listed as. James Inglehart. Oh yeah, with an N in it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoops, it daisies. Uh, it happened. They messed up my father's name on several movies. It was either Jim Inglehart or Jim. It was so funny. Well, I'll tell you back to those introductions. Though I've said to many a guest, by the time I get to the end of it and I say the name, I genuinely, I no offense to anybody, I do not care what anyone's name is. I do not just, <laughs> I don't want to drop dead. That's all. So the fact that I get any name out. I yeah. can fix that up. You can ADR. I can fix it yeah. up in ADR. Mm -hmm. I can ADR that. So it's no offense to anybody. I just nah. don't care. I just want to get through it and not die. Anyways, we're going to move on because uh, we're going to move on to Hercules or Huncules, as we call him. Now, uh, quickly, it's 100 years of Disney this year and there's been 61 animated movies. So if you had to quarantine with any Disney villain, but not Hades or Jafar, because I am mean. Who would you most like to be stuck with for two weeks? Ooh. So you can't play favorites. Sorry. No, 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 please. Um, it would probably... <laughs> but what's funny is I was, I, was, I was thinking many, many, many villains, but uh, the first one that comes to mind is Dr. Facilier from uh, Princess and the Frog. Oh. And not just because you have it. Okay. Just because, you know, there's some magic, there's some coolness, there's some, there's some give a brother a pound moment we could have. I'd watch him. I would never let him stand behind me because I know he'd probably stick me in the back with a knife. But <laughs> I figured, you know, I could probably kick it with him. Or honestly, just because, you know, you know, I tempt fate because she's gorgeous. I'd kick it with Maleficent. Okay. Uh, yes, my queen. See if I can sweet talk the lady a little bit. I'd probably get killed. But hey, it's wor worth the climb. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dr. Facilia, I agree with because he has some hot fashion and I would love some tips. So, yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the brother's always looking That's good. It. So. See, I'm like, Ursula doesn't seem to be able to do stuff to you unless you agree with it. So I'm just like, that just seems like a cocktail buddy. I would not mind hanging out with Ursula. The first thing, John, I thought about Ursula, my problem is underwater. Uh, yeah. Und underwater for a long time. Yeah, it's, okay. It's drowning. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Hadn't thought about the water. Also, too too many arms. Too many arms. I don't know where the other arms are. She could. I don't know where. I got to fight. I got too many arms. Yeah. Well, just, maybe we can work with that. I'm just saying. That's that is true. You know, it depends <laughs> on what you're thinking. Yeah. yeah. You just want to sleep <laughs> facing her because you never know what's right. There. Exactly. What, what, mm -hmm. Where are you at? Where are you at? That's it. Anyways, we are going to move on now to the musical. Actually, we're not doing Hercules. We're doing Aladdin. Hey! I am off track now. Now, so, um, J-Wigs. Yes, uh, I have seen mo the movie Aladdin dozens of times in my life, growing up with that movie as part of the Disney Renaissance, a big part of my life. Uh, I have not yet seen the stage version at the New Amsterdam. Ah. Uh, so I was very excited to be able to, like, climb into uh, the, the original Broadway cast recording and sort of experience that because, like, I I'm so incredibly used to the movie version the first thing is like i always think when there are multiple recordings that of essentially the same show what is the audience for each and so i think the audience for the aladdin original broadway cast recording is it's people who are completists for both disney also tim rice and howard ashman if you're looking to get like a full sense of what they can do this provides a lot more uh, just material for you to get through uh, and also if you are choreographing aladdin it feels like Every single measure of dance music is in this recording. Every single part of it. So if you don't have a rehearsal pianist, you can just throw this on and you can just block to that. Because there were a lot of points in there like, this is a great song. And now here's three minutes of orchestral music. <laughs> and I bet Casey Nicola is filling this with amazing gags, amazing dancing. Yes, he is. The joke of everyone has a minor in dance. I'm like, all right, we're going meta early. I'm with you. This feels great. Yep. I mean, it, it's definitely, there. it's a little more meta than the other musicals. And one of the questions I did want to ask you before I continue. Yes. At what point did the like Disney mega mix in Friend Like Me show up? Was that something you did at auditions or was that something like in the room you came up with? No, that was it. That was actually, um, Alan, people don't know this. Alan Macon has a, um, has a musical supervisor named Michael Kazarian, uh, Kaz as he's known. And Kaz came up with this fun idea to all of a sudden have this medley of Alan Macon music in the middle of um, Friend Like Me to, for one, to honor Alan, and two, to give time for the magic trick that was about to happen where I make Al disappear. And the medley was actually longer. We had we had uh, we had go the we had go the distance in, and they took that out. And I forgot what other song we had. And Alan Menken didn't know that Kaz was going to put it in. <laughs> Alan's sitting at rehearsal, and he's you know not really watching. He's listening, and all of a sudden, when we went into the medley, he looks up, surprised, and just throws his pencil. He was like, "That was amazing!" And then the word the the best and worst thing is if Alan thinks it's amazing then that means Alan's going to get in it. And then Alan wanted to put all kinds of stuff. Alan was like, we could put this in. Then we like, Alan, Alan, the song's already seven minutes. We don't have enough time to put all your greatest hits in this one section. I was very excited for some of the songs that in the movie are just tiny, like Arabian Nights. I love the fact that you got to turn that into a full number that explores yes. the entire world. So that we can just literally, no, no pun intended, jump into one jump ahead and that whole sequence. Yeah. And it doesn't need to carry as much 
introductory weight because we can just focus in on what Aladdin's doing. Yes. I like the extra ballads for the most part. I think Proud of Your Boy is a lovely song and I think this Palace Walls is great, but I'm also like, if we have that song and we have these Palace Walls, do we need another song for the two of them to sing about how unhappy they are together? This is gonna be hard for me to <laughs> critique because I was a part of it, but I know why they did it because there's a moment where in every musical, as you know, they, once they start talking enough, they have to sing. And so when they meet, this is that song that leads them into, you know, I, they can't just tell what's going on in their heads. They have to sing about it. And so mm -hmm. they both wish they were a million miles away. And that became a song. And also that song has a special place in my heart because I was there. First time Adam and Courtney heard that they were getting a new song written by Alan Menken. Aww. And we, we could have drowned in the amount of tears that were being shed by all of us in that room. But I do understand. I do get it. But also, you know, the movie's 90 minutes. We had to, we had to, we had two acts. We had to put some songs in there. <laughs> That's the other difficulty I have with the Disney adaptation sometimes is because Disney always, the first act you can pretty much do as written, but then the second act, you only have 20 minutes of screen time to get through the end of it. Right. Uh, because when I saw the act one finale, I'm like, are there only three songs in act two? And I'm like, oh no, we have added songs, including High Adventure, which is five and a half minutes long. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Now, here's the fun part about High Adventure. High Adventure was in the original movie and was cut because Aladdin originally didn't have Abu. He had three friends, Omar, yeah. Babcak, and Kasim. And those friends were cut along with his mom. So that's why that song got cut, and that's why... Um, Proud of Your Boy got cut. And so Alan, when they came to Alan and said, we want to do a musical, Alan pulled out, he tells the story all the time, he pulled out this dusty script that said, this is what Howard Ashman originally wanted to do. If we're going to do a musical, let's do the musical Howard wanted to do. And that's where all those other things came from. I really dig it. Uh, and but one of the things I also notice upon the extended and getting more Ashman lyrics in there is that like he has a tendency to make like it, it gets a little newsies at certain points because it's just like, ah, you're a gold bricker. And it's just like, like you're you're in Arabia in like zero A.D. Like, Listen, <laughs> see, his his idea was that he wanted to do a road movie uh, like the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope movies. Oh, yes, I heard this. Yeah. That was the original idea for Aladdin. It was supposed to be a road film. Road to Morocco. When Howard passed, it turned into a, an action romance. So, that you know, all that. So when they realized, how are we going to put this show on stage? We can't do an action romance. It's hard to do action on stage. So they went back to the road idea, which is where all that stuff came from and all those different puns and stuff. And some of those puns came from my dear friend Brian Gonzalez because he's just, he can't help himself. <laughs> And we would sit back, and I, I admit, some of that's my fault. We would sit back and just do dumb stuff, and we'd say it in case we go, that's funny. And we're like, oh, they're going to kill us. But we're having a good time. <laughs> I love working with actors who are always trying new stuff in rehearsal. I mean, just that's one of my favorite things. You would be an amazing Babcack star. Oh, I thank you. You would have killed that role. My gosh. Just listening to you, I'm assuming you're a tenor. Oh, yeah. Just looking at your features and what you're saying, you would have been a Babcack with us, and you probably would have gotten in as much trouble as we did. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It'll go on the road at some point, at which time, yes. hopefully I'll be old enough to be a Jafar. <laughs> you, yeah, you could do that too. You'd, you'd be great in that too. Oh, that's that's the role. I always want to be the villain. Oh, it's such a good role. Those are the fun ones. Such a good role. Well, and I loved, uh, going back to the story, like, I really loved the the new Jafar song in there, the, the Diamond and the Rough song, adding to the Prince Ali Jafar reprise, which is like the only part in the original movie. I'm like, but he needs to sing more. He's so cool and evil. Yes. But yeah, it just feels like the, the second act, it feels like the, the songs stop the action as opposed to in getting 
the action moving, which in the first act, I feel like the songs are furthering the action and constantly showing new things. But I feel like, especially High Adventure and Somebody's Got Your Back, it's like, we're in the run out of the show, but let's stop and talk about adventure for a while. Let's stop this prison break and talk about how we feel about this prison break before we leave. I will not, I won't disagree, but I will say, that's why I want you to see the show. I want you to see the show because actually it does okay. flow. High Adventure does flow the story and go right into the jail, which leads us into Somebody's Got Your Back. So I know on soundtrack, it may sound like it just goes, what are we doing? But trust me, I will say Casey was very meticulous in making sure that the script flowed. And there is a reason why uh, when they find, when the boys find out that Aladdin's been taken, two of them are afraid to go save him. And one of them goes, guys, we can do this. We have to do hi, hi, hi. And that's where all that nuttiness starts. Mm. And um, they realize they're actually very good at high adventure, but they get so wrapped up being in high adventure, they get arrested, which is also funny. Say <laughs> it if you can. It is amazing. I, t I took my nephew. It actually, I, th I think you would dig it. I think it's very funny. All right. But I, but I do understand because, like, when you watch soundtracks, when I listen to the first time I listened to um, "Ain't Misbehaving," I was like, what, "Why is this ballad here? This just slows up everything." Then I saw the show, I was like, "Oh, I, oh, I get it." I, well, it's also just, especially in a show that's like uh, an extravaganza. It's like you need someone singing a solo so everyone else can get changed. Like someone's got to be out there. Honestly, yes, because at that song we had set changes and that was all happening while everybody can be backstage. Yeah. That's it's the faculty number in School of Rock. It only exists so do we can have a chance to get a drink of water and get changed. That's the only yes. reason that song is there. Yeah, I got you. Trust me and believe me, I, we had a couple of that. Somebody's got your back as a set change. In the drag world, they call them filler queens. Love it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> just quickly, um, now I'll, I'll show this one first. I got this from Disneyland, so that's partly why I'm so excited to have you on, James. Ah! Now I got this cup, um, not long after Robin had died. Yes. So I deliberately got the neck pillow of the genie. Oh, that's so cute. Because I was in Japan and getting a, a cruise all the way back to Australia. So I thought, you know, I'm going to need to have the genie around my neck. Now, also, I've had these for 31 years now. These are Happy Meal toys. I've got <gasps> Abu as an elephant. Whoa. I've got Iago and... I have the genie. Hey! Do you know people would pay like way too much money for those? I mean, it's amazing. Like a Happy Meal toy of a classic cartoon or like, you know, Aladdin or like the Muppets take Manhattan, those glasses. I mean, folks, you know, don't, don't, don't. I'm glad you are on a podcast and they can't see them. Don't put those on the computer or somebody will come to Australia and try to take your stuff. They are mine. <laughs> Or mine. Disney adults are definitely a thing here. Are there are there as many Disney adults in, in Australia? Hi, I'm Aaron, and I currently have a Princess and the Frog poster <laughs> on my wall. Uh, I'm wearing a Disney villain's t-shirt. Yeah, there is. There is lots. Are, but are there as many? There is, because we don't have Disneyland. So it's for us, it's like this mythical place that's elsewhere that's not here. Now, I do really want them to build one here, but I want them to not just build a, a normal Disneyland. I want them to also build a Disney Darklands devoted to the villains because you could only do that in Australia. Let's face it, down under. That'd be dope. Give all the big villains their own section and and focus yeah. on the 
Disney Darklands. There, there's been talk about that, and I, and you know, and I think I, I may be wrong, but I think I hear that parents they really don't want you know the evil being raised up. I'm not making it for your kids. I know, but yeah. <laughs> sorry, you're making it for me. Yes, which is which is why they all of a, all of a sudden Disney keeps trying to like redeem all the villains. You know, all of a sudden all the villains have these backstories. Yeah. To, and I'm with you, John. They have all these backstories. Like, oh my God, this is why they're bad. You're like, well, then we can't. They're not villains anymore. And it, I don't want to know why. You know, Cruella doesn't want to wants to wants to be friends with dogs. I don't. I like the fact I just don't like her. That's the fun. That was my problem with Beetlejuice. Is that Beetlejuice? Is supposed to be pure id and then the musical they're like but he has us he has feelings like no he's why why can't he just be funny and be the id and let the other characters who have feelings have feelings it's like no he's just upset and he wants to get out and that's the purpose i want to get out and i want to take over that's it so i I feel you i get it you know since you have like i mean you were mentioning so much about the like the the disney family and you you obviously have much more disney family like sort of in the paper mill right now would you say having done so many other different shows is there a disney style of acting Uh, because i find some actors feel like yes this is sort of like the way i I do disney this is the way i would do like i would do sometime but some people say it's like it's all the same stuff honestly no i honestly i think the best way to handle a disney show is to come at it in the most real way possible the minute you try to come at it like a disney way then it it turns into oh god this is gonna sound really wrong and i hope whoever hears this doesn't take it the way i'm saying it it turns to a park show if if you're if you're gonna do a musical regardless of what it is you've got to come at it in the most honest way possible no matter how outlandish the circumstances are so phil the way I play Phil is a guy who literally is down on his luck. You know, he used to train heroes. He doesn't anymore. He got too hurt from doing it. And when this kid walks in, it's like, no, I don't want to help you. I've been there before. I'm not getting hurt again. I'm not getting hurt by not getting recognized and these guys leaving me and someone dying. I'm not doing that again. So you have to come at it from a real place. And then when you see the kid, you realize he has so much heart that even you can't stop who you truly are. I am a trainer. This is what I was born to do. So I've got to do this. So I'm gonna give it one last chance, one last hope and help this kid and pray to the gods that something great happens. And if not, it's my own fault for making this decision. There is no, there shouldn't be a Disney style of acting. There should just be acting and let the situation, because if you play it that way, then the audience will go, oh my God, you were just like the Phil from the movie. No, you're not. You're just actually playing the, the actual stakes of the story. And that makes people remember what it was like to watch what they saw before. Well, it's, it's, it's like the difference between like being in a biopic and being a Vegas impersonator. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Is there a difference in the responsibility you feel as an actor taking on the character that's from such a beloved animated film and you're, you know, the first one to do Jeannie and the first one to do Phil now as opposed to taking on a character from a musical that's been running like Hamilton, Chicago, you stepped into? I feel a responsibility for both, but I do feel a definite responsibility to the Disney fans because I I'm a Disney fan and I know, and I kind of come at it, I come at Phil the same way I came at Jeannie. What would I want to see? Well, if I was coming as a big fan of Hercules, as a big fan of Aladdin, what would I want to see this character do? And I hope that my decisions are liked by the fans, but I also can't worry about if they like it because I have to also do what I as an actor feel is, you know, needed for the situation and needed for the show. So I do feel the responsibility because I don't want them to come and see something so different that they're like, what the hell did you do to my character? But I also don't want them to see the same thing that they could see for $29.99 or for $9.99 on Disney+. Plus. I want them to see something extra. I want them to see what they know, but then be transported by going, oh my gosh, he expanded the character. He took me someplace I didn't expect the character to go. So they can feel like Phil or Jeannie has 
you know, it was worth paying that extra money to see this different version of the of the show. And that's, I think, that that's the real challenge with the Broadway film adaptation musicals is that you have to justify paying five times as much for a longer product that yeah. may not be the thing you want it to be. You have to pay homage to what you know, but you also can't give them exactly the same thing because what's the point in paying mm -hmm. all that money to see something you could just watch at home that's already perfect in a classic, you know? <laughs> Well, that's the I, that's one of the things I really loved about the original cast recording is that you could tell it was a stage show, and you honor that energy throughout yeah. the recording of just yeah. like it. it I, I can I, I can imagine what's going on on stage, even though I realize that like nothing is happening because I'm not watching a thing. <laughs> but I really like the idea that right from Arabian Nights, like we're talking about fictional city, we are talking about everyone's got a minor in dance. This is the kind of show we are doing, and we are setting up this Arabian show with a jazz soundtrack, like. We're here. We're going to do it. Yes. And we want, we basically want to look at you and say, you have three Aladdins. You have the Aladdin, the movie, the, the Aladdin, the animated classic. Then you have Aladdin, the Broadway show. And then you have Aladdin, the Hollywood feature. And each of them tells a story and tells a similar story, but tells it in a different way. So you can appreciate this great classic but in three different ways without you feeling like you're seeing the same thing each time. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things that I think Disney Theatrical Group does well is to say, when we do our version, we're going to give you the story you know, but with some stuff that's going to make you go, damn, I got to see this again. You know, so it's the actor study. Like, what am I doing? Step into it, go it and work it and kill it. Mm -hmm. That's basically what you do. I'm just glad to be able to do some roles that don't require me to scream high Bs. That might be nice for a change. <laughs> Bruh, I, listen, I understand. And Hercules has... <laughs> We have some tenors singing because people don't understand. Alan Macon is a tenor. He's a high tenor. Yep. So he writes high tenor. Everything's in C and D. <laughs> You're like, uh, I literally had to tell him that was that was one of the first times I actually had to grow some and walk over to him and say, Alan, um, Robin Williams is not a singer. And he's basically kind of talking the song in a bass town. But I am also not Titus Burgess. I cannot take what Samuel E. Wright did and take it up three octaves to make it, you know, a rock song. If you give me Genie in a baritone voice, I swear to you, I will give you tenor notes in places and I will make this so great. He was like, oh, lower the key. I'm like, please. He was like, oh, I got you. He was so easy about it, but it was, it scared me. Cause I was like, how am I going to tell this eight Oscar award-winning person change the key for me? But when he did, he was like, oh, James, you were right. This, this, this is where it should be. And you know. I was right so for the instrument that's in front of you, not the instrument you think you were maybe thinking in your head. Because I've worked yeah. uh, in New York with several composers who are willing to match the performer halfway and some who are like, this is the key. Do the key I wrote because that's the perfect like, key. And you're like, yes, well, then you need to get the perfect actor yeah. <laughs> to sing this because I'm not going to give you what you want. You're just going to be frustrated. Now, I know what that's like going up to somebody like Alan Menken, not him himself, obviously, and having to grow a pair. Yeah. To say something, and, and for me, it's, can you please wear headphones for the recording? The most simplest request, you'd think, no. And I feel so yeah. patronizing. I feel really rude doing it, and I know I shouldn't, but, and I do it in the most, you know, casual way. Like, if you can, that'll be cool. If you can't, that's all right. But I'd still like, oh my, I had to grow up here. Yeah, you got to say what you need for your show. So. That's exactly. I learned that pretty quickly. So I am going to uh, jump in and say it seems that Prince Ali needs to go see Ali the Barber so we can cut to an ad break. <laughs> G'day, listeners. Aaron here. 
while you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep, as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spider web? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. 
grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Perfect, Brian. Anyways, you're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Mr. J Wags. Hey! And bless my soul, we're joined by our very first black exploitation icon. <laughs> I'm very excited by that. James Monroe Eigelhart. Now, we've just got a few questions about your hopes and dreams and wishes, obviously, for the future. Now, back onto Disney. Is there a themed world that you would love them to build? Oh. In Japan at Disney Sea, they actually have an Agrabah. And it's wonderful. Yeah, I know. I really, I really, I really want to go. I've, I've heard it's wonderful. Uh, oh, I want to go. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It? I want to go. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm so, you know, they, they, they've actually built the one. I, w- I always wanted to see Tron. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And so I am so excited by, you know, Tron and the light cycles. I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, honestly, I agree with you. I always wanted a place for the villains. I thought, I thought, you know, to play, to see Oogie Boogie, to see Vasilier, to see yeah. especially the classic, you know, the 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 queen, the to see the queen of, you know, a, a castle for the queen of Snow White or, you know, Maleficent. I mean, that I think people would because they have villain knights, they have villain knights at the at mm. the parks. But a place would be really really cool just to see what they could get away with, um, and how fun it could be. But that's that's you know. That, that's what I say. Yeah, and it should be in Australia. <laughs> if you could choose the next great musical Broadway adaptation for you to star in, what is your film and what is your role? Ooh. And you don't have to think logistically. It can be Top Gun the movie or like whatever you want it on stage. Whatever will make it happen. But what's the movie? What's the role? That, that's I've never thought about that. That's that's that's, that's interesting. Actually, no, that's that's not true. That is not true. I have thought of it because <laughs> it's a princess track, but it's mm-hmm. a great track. I have been trying to get them to do Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. On please. stage yes. for years. Yes. And I want it to be in the same slot as The Grinch. And what I mean by that is it starts in September and ends January 5th. Yeah. So it goes all through the fall, all through Christmas, and then boom, January 5th, it's done. And I want to play Oogie Boogie. Yeah, which you, you did recently. Yeah. I produced a concert, um, a, a virtual concert during the pandemic. And I also got to sing Oogie Boogie for Danny Elfman when he got his Disney D23 Legends Award. Amazing. I think it'd be so much fun to do. I think if directed correctly, you could have the most amazing show. And this is a thing where you could, you know, get Danny to, I mean, I think with so many songs, you might not even need to write new songs, but just because it's a musical, you may want to give something a little bit different, you know, for those moments of like, this is a set change. So Jack can, you know, have a drink of water, you know, something like that. But I think it could be done so well. And I think because it's a limited run, I think the fans would absolutely go Ape, you know what I mean? Ape poopy, yes. Yes, and I would love to play Oogie Boogie because it is such a princess track. You come in, you say a few lines, you sing that song, you leave, and then you come back in at the end, die, and people still think you're the greatest thing in the world. I was like, yep, that's what I want. So, okay, so let's say let's say you're, you're in charge of the new Amsterdam. So that's your holiday. What is the other Disney property running the other nine months? Keep it Aladdin or... <laughs> Aladdin or Hercules or I'm trying to think of something else to be fun. Um, that that's a hard one because Aladdin doesn't feel holiday. It feels a little too warm for the holidays. No, no, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, Honey, yes, I yes. shrunk the kids. Honey, I shrunk the kids for crying out loud. I want those sets. I want massive sets. That, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. There's certain <laughs> things that I always go. How would you do that in theater form? A lot of drugs. A lot mm-hmm. of drugs. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of drugs. That's how you would do that one. I just back on Nightmare Before Christmas, we had Chris Sarandon on the show. 
because we can. Oh, we can't really oh, see it. Oh, wonderful! This. Love that guy. Yes, yeah. to which was a great thrill for Christmas. And Prince Humperdinck, lest we forget. Yes, Prince Humperdinck from the Princess, Princess Bride. Bride, which is also. I mean, that's a musical I can't wait to yeah. see. Actually, I think Disney's working on that. I think Disney's working Good. on on that that that's musical. Perfect. Uh, I can't. I honestly, I can't think of what what musical I'd want to do. There is okay. That's not true. There is a musical I wanted. <laughs> well, there's a movie I want to do. I am a huge fan. <laughs> This is gonna get me in trouble. Ooh. I am a huge fan of the Country Bear Jamboree. Okay. Oh yeah, and they made that movie with Haley Joel Osment. Yes, and it's awful, absolutely terrible. Chris Walken. And yes. I feel yes. that with the way CGI is now with Pixar and things, you could do a wonderful version of the Country Bear Jamboree story, and it does. It, maybe it could be how they got together, or it could be in the same vein as that story of just them performing, and just a, a story about a lovable family and what these bears go through through music. You could, if you get the right people to write the music, you get the right country folks to write it. It could be incredible. And if you're crazy enough, you could put that on stage, and that's the family musical that could just run. Because, you know, it, it could have everything, you know, the Country Bear Jamboree has everything from country to rock. And then, of course, now it's 2023. You can have country, heavy metal, rap, mm -hmm. this and that, the, the bears. And if you do it right, if you do it like about think about SpongeBob, the musical, if you do it right. Yes. If you do it right. That's a show that does. It's not it's non-denominational. It's not here to offend anybody. It's just good, clean entertainment with a heartfelt story to do something. The other thing. Now that you've asked me, because I've now that I'm thinking, I remember what I wanted to do. I want to put them up. It's on Broadway. Oh yes, yes. yes. And I, I actually, I actually have a story for it, and uh, so I've been trying to talk to some friends about it but there's a way to do the muppets on on broadway too and you know have guests and things and you know that's also a limited run so you could have you know i want to have a guest a week and so like you know that person does it so but that's that's i won't talk anymore about it because there's people out there about to steal my idea i know i hear i feel you guys but um yeah so i mean those are the things that i, I would want to do things that you don't think about you know those properties that disney has that you go we could do something with that and it's not one of the classic properties that makes people go oh Oh my god you've messed with my childhood it's something you can infuse some new ideas to and do something cool mm -hmm. to. how boring was your childhood that someone can ruin it today with one film but listen it's not like the other film doesn't exist it's like you can still go back and watch it yeah like right you've destroyed my childhood you're like have i really then just watch the old movie then if you don't like the new version just watch the old one exactly also if you're, if you're trepidatious don't watch it at all you don't have to go yeah now, just on the country bears, lastly, you could, I imagine the country bears next to normal. And you talk about family drama there. Anyways, that was <laughs> terrible joke. That's funny. I just saw Cocaine Bear two days ago. Oh. So, of course, I'm only thinking that there's a bear on cocaine. I want to say that. I want to see that so bad. I saw that trailer and I was like, I called Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I was like, bro, I love you. The fact that you did this movie, I love you. Thank you for this movie. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Also, uh, okay, now if you could leave a message or a reminder for yourself for 20 years time in the future, what reminder do you have? Enjoy the journey and stop trying to get to the end so fast. You know, I, I know me and I don't know what kind of actor you are, John, but I'm the type of guy who's like, oh my God, I, just, I want it all right now. And I'm like, yeah, but if you get to the end, you don't, you don't learn anything. And that's, that's the big thing for me. That's, that's a, 
that's a big self-aware moment for me. I have to stop it and go, okay, you have to go through it. So when you get to the end, you can appreciate it. I wish I could have told my younger self that when I was going through Aladdin, I was so enthralled with being genie and all the things that was happening. It was like that actor moment you've been waiting for your whole life that I didn't sit back, that I, I, I didn't sit back and enjoy it until the last year of the show. And I, I was on the journey for six years from readings to the show. And here we are in 2017 and I'm like, oh, I'm enjoying it. And I was like, God, I wish I would have really sat back and like really enjoyed what we were doing at the time, you know? So now I, I call, I, I tell myself all the time, like, look, bro, relax, enjoy the journey that you're on. Because when you get to the end, you can look back and go, look at all the stuff we did and appreciate it, not just fly through it so fast. That's yeah. lovely. That's it. Now, just back on Hercules, I hear Phil is no longer half goat. No, he's not. And you've also got a, um, a show-stopping act two number, I believe. I do. Um, they took the goat out, one, because satyrs as a, as a rule... Yeah. Um, are a little uh, on the uh, nasty side, sexual <laughs> na na nasty side, great, great nasty side. Yeah, and we're trying to make a family show. And also, you know, I thought about uh, I, I don't know if you guys saw the movie Percy and the uh, Lightning Thief or whatever, Peter Lightning yep, Thief, yep. that movie, Percy Jackson. Yep. Percy Jackson, Lightning Thief. And that brother was a satyr, and I was like, mm, you ain't gonna have me with my shirt off and some goat legs. That ain't happening. Because all I kept thinking <laughs> is Dave, Ch Dave Chappelle doing a comedy with the, with the goat legs. I was like, nah, not doing it. But I like that they turned him into, they wanted to make it more realistic of making him a trainer, okay. like a guy who trained, uh, you know, people. And I thought that was fun, but also it had to do with the fact that the Seder, the jokes and things that, you know, they did in the film, they wanted to, you know, they had to separate themselves from that because that was 1997 and we are in a different place now. Mm -hmm. So and you're then, not uh, Danny DeVito. So like, don't do the jokes that, that worked for Danny DeVito. That, that too. So I just want to throw this in. I was 12 years old when Hercules came out and I saw it at the movies. And quite frankly, I'm not running around in a toga with my shirt off. Now, I will say our Bradley, our Bradley is, but, but he's also built to be to do that. Yeah, no one wants to say that is what he is. Yes, yeah. we're OK with that. He is ripped from head to toe. Yes. <laughs> no notes on that. We're, we're very happy with no, that. That, that. That boy, he, he, yeah. he's in my dressing room. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm straight as they come. But I'm like. That's a pretty boy. That's a pretty man. I ain't gonna lie. That's a pretty man. <laughs> uh, your your Aladdins and Jasmines are incredibly attractive. Gorgeous. Yeah. Const yes. Constantly. Are there no ugly <laughs> people in Agrabah? Well, I guess it's not called Aglabar, is it? So. No, no. We actually, we, we used to make jokes about that. We were like, you got to be pretty to be in this show. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. goodness. <laughs> Even if you're round, you got to be pretty. You got to at least be pretty. Well, that was a hilarious thing with School of Rock is that every every adult track in that show is a teacher or a parent, but they still cast these beautiful people and then had to go through all this makeup to make them look old. I'm like, we, we could have yeah. just hired some old busted looking teacher people. Nah. No? Okay. That's it. <laughs> Anyways, if you could name a Broadway theater after any other artist, who would it be and why would it be me? Uh, well, it would definitely be you because, yep. oh, wonderful. I mean, you are an amazing fan of what we do. Yep. And it would be an honor to honor someone who wasn't in the business, but someone who appreciated the business so much that fans can look at it and go, see, even we get to be the names of theaters in New York. Now, technically, I'm kind of a playwright. There you go. Hey. Ah, uh -uh. see, that, that could, that. 
That could can't. That would tell. So tell, okay, okay. I, I can see that. I can see that. that. But an educational, educational. They're in about four thousand classrooms around the world being used by drama teachers because they're only a couple of dollars each. And I got like Aladdin and Cinderella and you know the Tortoise and the Hare, and they all take place on one island, and it's got the whole mythology, and they all connect up together. Like it's a literal fairy tale cinematic or theatrical universe that I started. So technically, I'm kind of a playwright and kind of an author, but that's self-published. But so an edu ed ed educational playwright works as well because Broadway's supposed to educate in certain ways. So yes, you just you deserve a theater, yes. I do deserve a Broadway theater named after me, don't I, New York City? <laughs> I know you're listening. Yes. Anyways. <laughs> I'm just upset when they, when they take, we have theaters that don't have people's names, but when we rename a theater, we rename a theater that already had someone's name on it. Like, yep. we have <gasps> the Imperial and the Majestic, but why did we have to get rid of Brooks Atkinson for Lena Horne? Is there another theater that could have been the Lena Horne? Like, that maybe we don't erase Brooks Atkinson? Because I thought that was the point we'd remember Brooks Atkinson. Maybe that's just me, though. <laughs> no, listen, I, I, I agree. I agree. I think I, I think Lena Horne deserves a theater. Yes, yes, I think she deserves a theater. I think August Wilson deserves a theater. I think mm -hmm. they all do. But you know, yeah, it's like well, if the names are there, take it off. You know, don't take that name off. Take off the other part. Take off the names like well, the majestic. Yeah, like the majestic. That's just an adjective. Like okay, right. right. <laughs> But it's also royal. It's Commonwealth majestic. Like that's it. It speaks of royalty. But the Sh the Schubert Theater ain't never going away because that's the Schubert family. That's not ever. That's never yep. going away. We have the Nederlander as well. Although there's a Nederlander yeah. Chicago and a Nederlander New York, which has messed me up so many times. That is very that's true. That's very true. But I am I am looking forward to you know looking at the Lena Horn Theater and being like yeah. wow because of what she did. But I do mm -hmm. I do I do get it. That makes that makes sense. Yeah. I, I can see both sides. Why not rename the the palace to the Judy? Judy Garland, she played at the palace. Yeah, Judy Garland deserves. I'm, su a I'm surprised. Theater. I'm surprised Judy Garland doesn't have a theater. Oh, or we shit. could do the thing we do with with stadiums to make it like the Judy Garland's for stage at the Palace Theater or something like yeah, that. Right, yes. The Madonna stage door <laughs> that we built at the Jacobs. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Andre DeShields is gonna get one if he passes away. He is know. never going to pass away. That man is going to outlive us true. all. That's true. He's going to live forever. He's that right. He has That's cracked true. the Methuselah code. He has done it. Uh, so Northern California, A's Giants, Warriors Kings. What you got? A's Warriors. All right. Okay. Not many Kings fans in the world. Don't get me wrong. Still mad at the Warriors for leaving Oakland. I am mad at that. Yeah. I did. I did feel like that was. I felt that was kind of dissed to the to the to the town. Mm -hmm. I felt it was dissed to the people who've been fans. Yeah. I felt it was dissed to the folks who've been there with you when you could not win a championship, and then you win one in the Coliseum. Forget what you call it, the arena. It's the Coliseum. Yes. And the fact that you did that, and then once they won a championship, once they won all the championships, then you moved them to San Francisco. Really? Ooh. Really? And then not only that. You made the ticket prices so high that the folks that were there for you when nobody was there for you, when everybody was booing you, and they were, and I was a kid when they were advertised, Michael Jordan, they would say, come see the Bulls, play the Warriors. Even though it was our town, when we were there for you, you take it to the place where we can't afford the tickets? Nah, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. See, I'm a Kings fan, so for 40 years of my life, we've just been like, watch this other team come play the Kings, huh? Mm. And, I, and, and here's my problem. Like, if the Kings win a championship, someone's going to want to move them. I'm like, no, stay where you are. They tried that. They tried to move us to Seattle a few years ago, but Kevin Johnson, who was our mayor at the time, said no. Yeah, that's, listen, I'm like... KJ had our back. It's like, no, we don't need Seattle. They had the Supersonics, and they, they went away. <laughs> Although, try to buy a Sacramento Kings hat in Manhattan. You will find five uh, Supersonic hats. You will find no kings merch and that they're a team that's still around yes that's the thing i don't it's it's because i forgot homeboy's name oh kemp 
Sean Kemp was a supersonic. And so because he was a supersonic, his his jersey's still up. They um, still have also, a supersonic Kevin Durant jersey. <laughs> now, what's the funniest or cringiest time you embarrassed yourself in front of someone super duper famous? Funniest or cringiest? We do prefer cringiest. Um, in front of someone super duper famous. I don't think I've ever. Embar- I think I've always been pretty cool in front of famous people. Really? I've always embarrassed myself in front of like regular people. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Whoopi Goldberg and she's an idol of mine. And she came backstage during Aladdin. I'll give you a cringy one. This is a this is a heartfelt one. She came backstage during Aladdin and as I walked up to her, I listened to her show on albums when she was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I loved her in films, but her stand-up, her one-woman shows were just meant the world to me. She's also Guinan in Star Trek Next Generation. I'm a I'm a mm-hmm. Trek, I mean I'm I'm a big Trek <laughs> fan. And I get backstage and she's on her hands and knees bowing to me. When she came up, I think she thought I was going to be laughing and I was bawling, absolutely bawling. And she's like, are you okay, honey? And I'm like, you don't understand. I, a one act play in college was a Fontaine, one of your characters. I played Fontaine. I auditioned my butt off just to play it. And the fact that you're here and you're saying that I'm good, I couldn't take it. Now, cringy, I would say, would be, uh, I'm on stage in Hamilton and everybody named Mama knows Hamilton and there's famous people out there. And I literally go so blank during, it's just like, I'm taking this host, but the rains make a red toast ready with blood stains. And I got up and I said, I'm just absolute no words, just gibberish, just, and it's on a click. So it doesn't stop. I finally found my words, but to know that people were out there going, uh, does that brother not know the words? <laughs> yeah, that was the most crazy. I was like, ha, hey, well, this is, um, this is terrible. Good to know. And they were famous people like, and they would act like, oh, you did, you did okay. You did, oh, I got one. I auditioned for um, Sister Act, the musical. And I had gotten, I'm at the final callbacks and I have a cold. And I sang in front of Alan Mankin. I tried to go for the high note for Sweaty Eddie. And I cracked so bad. And it was so bad that Alan said, oh, well, maybe we could put that in the show. (laughs) Obviously, I don't get the role. I get, I get Genie. And I walk over to Alan and I tell him the story. He goes, you did that? And Kaz, Michael Kazarian, his musical director goes, wait a minute, goes into his phone. I did not realize that Kaz takes notes for every audition he has ever been a part of. Goes through his electronic Rolodex and goes back to two years, two years in a folder, finds my name and goes, Sister Act, James Eichelhart. Oh yeah, it says, good singer, bad last note. The man had it written down that's a pro that is a professional right there so if you have ever auditioned for michael kazarian he's got the notes to your audition i fell out laughing i was like i was like i'm so glad i did well in in, in aladdin or he would have thought i was terrible but boy that that was the most cringy because alan had to save me and he he was like i didn't remember that a fun question when was the last time you jumped in puddles for fun never and let me explain oh why. Oh my God, James. That's I am, I know, I know. Tisk, I am such, tisk, tisk. I am such a prissy man. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a prissy man. I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't the kid that played in dirt. Uh, fun story. Two stories, very quickly. I was a kid and everybody was playing in sand and it rained. And all the kids were making sand castles. And I was like, I can't do that. I'll get that on my corduroys. <laughs> and the boys, <laughs> the boys teased me. For a whole semester. <laughs> then flash forward to college, flash forward to college. I'm driving and I drive up to class and I'm in a parking lot and I open my door and I look down 
and there is a puddle of water with a little bit of mud. I close the door, back up the car, and get into a different parking space, not realizing that one of my favorite teachers, my mentor, saw me. And she said, you know, I watched that whole situation. I said, what situation? She goes, you looked out. You looked at the puddle. You looked around to see if anybody was looking. You backed up your car and parked in a completely different spot. <laughs> I am so bad. I Guys, my wife teases me. Her favorite thing to do is like throw dirt on me and like watch me freak out. <laughs> oh, that's not good. No. He, oh, oh no, it's hilarious. Look, I'm Australian. That's that's <laughs> the way we do. Yeah. If it rains and she's like, I'm like, she goes, must you, what she got in the car, she goes, must you have an umbrella everywhere? I'm like, I have an umbrella in my bag. I have an uh -huh. umbrella in my car. I said, yes. She was like, James, good. It's just water. I'm like, no, it's going to get on me. And I swear. Yeah. <laughs> unless, unless it's romantic and I'm kissing in the rain. Nope. There we go. Your Spider-Man moment. Get your Spider-Man on. It's got to, there's got to be a moment where I know something you know, sexy's coming out, but if not, nah, <laughs> there is no, sorry, man, there's no puddle, there's no dirt, there's nothing. I am and I'm shocked. so glad you asked me that question. It's yep. so bad. I am so glad too, because this is going out to the world. Hey, it's so bad. Oh, that's so, it, it's, it's, it's such a real, it's such a real thing for me. And I'm so glad you asked me that question because yeah, I can't, I can't deny it. That's just, I'd never have. Yeah, but anyways, thank you so much. Why is my there we go. smoke alarm going off? Maybe you should check oh, that. Boy. I, I, I would yeah. check that. Uh, thank you so much, James. I'm gonna. I'll finish up with the, your socials and all that. We'll let you go. Let's hope my house is not burning down. Thank you. You're amazing. Uh, anyways, apparently my house wasn't on fire. So a huge thank you to James for joining us today. It was an absolute joy. So you can find James on the socials at James M Eigelhart. That's Eigel, not Ingle, as we established before with the poster. From the movie. Anyways, Hercules is running at the Paper Mill Playhouse until March 19th. And so you can get tickets online. Check below for the details or in the description, wherever you are looking. And from ancient Greece, James is going to medieval England to star in Spamalot at the Kennedy Center in May. So have a look online for ticket details there. Uh, also, James will be on a new show on Disney called Kiff. K-I-F-F, so check that out. Now, you can find us at Thrush and Treasure or at Thrush and Treasure Podcast, whatever, look up, whatever, I don't know, I don't care. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, leave us a review. That'll be cool. You can find Jonathan at Mr. Wags or on YouTube at The Dohio. That's D-O-H-Y-O. -O. Also check below for the details. Oh, make sure to buy the Tunniston Tales, of course, because I wrote them and it'll help keep this show going because this all costs a lot of money to keep this show online. Uh, anyways, also a huge thanks to David and Kelly for your respective help. What an amazing episode that ended up being. I am so flabbergasted. And also, Disney, it is about time you make David Sipple a Disney legend. We're going to keep on your back about it. Uh, anyways, that's it from us. You take care. Thanks for listening. And we shall see you next time. You're the man, man. Thank you so much, brother. Cool. Talk to you guys soon. Have a great day. You too.
band besides Babes, Bullets and Bellbottoms in the Blaxploitation Bonanza, Death Force, otherwise known as Fighting Mad, before blooming into one of Broadway's... I'm sorry, I need to catch my breath. I'm sure you understand. You played the genie. <laughs> that was amazing. Okay. You were not expecting this level, were you? That was that was amazing. As someone who's a part of Free Love Supreme, and I've been around some serious wordsmiths from Lynn Manuel Miranda all the way to my boy Daniel Watts, who's a poet. That was incredible. That Thank that you. was absolutely fantastic, Aaron. I'm usually better at it, but I've been practicing for the past hour. Just so I, I cannot screw this. Of all the of all the uh, intros, I cannot screw up this one. <laughs> no, please, that was fantastic. Screw this one up. That was so good. You're that doing so good. so good, Aaron. Okay, thank you. But anyways, I'm gonna go back from. 